I was in uh, Mrs. Moon's class in Elliott Elementary School in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And the most popular second grader in Mrs. Moon's class was a guy by the name of Cal Skinner. Cal Skinner. He was like Mrs. Moon's class's rock star. He was athletic. He was the man. Cal could run fast. Cal was tough. And most impressively, Cal had biceps. <laughs> he was a second grader, and he had biceps. And I wanted to be on Cal's soccer team. At recess, Cal would almost always be captain of the soccer team. And I wanted to be on Cal's team. And it was more, more than just being on a winning team. There was something about being on Cal's team that validated me. Something about being on Cal's team that meant that I belonged to the in-group. C.S. Lewis called it the inner ring. The inner ring. And Cal Skinner satisfied my second-grade craving for the inner ring. Second grade, I had that craving. And it's never left. What about you? There, there's an inner ring almost everywhere you go, isn't there? Um, on airplanes, there's you know, first class to be on the elite side of that curtain in the holy of holies as opposed to being in the court of the Gentiles. There's an inner ring at work. There's an inner ring in our social circles. Those who are in and those who are out. Those who are on Cal's team and those who are not. And in an act of exclusion, our world separates people between us and them. And inner rings can appear anywhere. And sadly, they can show up at church. And so you have the in-group and then you have everybody else. The inner ring. And, and one of the strongest cravings in life is to be in the inner ring. And one of the greatest horrors of life is to be left outside. And yet Luke declares in Luke chapter 2 that it was to them... To those on the outside, those not in the inner ring, that the good news of Jesus' birth exploded onto the world. I'm thinking of the shepherds in Luke chapter 2, verse 8, where it says there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock at night. First century shepherds were not in the inner ring, I can tell you that. In Jesus' day, they were not the upper crust. They were near the bottom of the social ladder. They were at the bottom of the financial pile. And ironically, the sheep that these shepherds cared for, the sheep were allowed in the temple, but the shepherds weren't because the shepherds were considered unclean. Unclean nobodies. And Cal Skinner would never have had those shepherds on his team. 
And yet these were the first to hear of God's arrival. Verses 9 and 10 say, An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they literally feared a great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. You see, had God wanted, he could have chosen religious leaders or seminary professors or the political or financial elite to market the message. But the news came first to nobodies, or at least those whom the world saw as nobodies. But God didn't see them as nobodies, but somebodies. Jesus was born for them, and he died for them. Verse 11 says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David. Notice it doesn't say, Not unto Mary and Joseph, not even for unto Israel. Rather, you, you, his birth and death were for you, you shepherds, for those the world sees as nobodies. For us, who is this God? He is the God who sees those of us on the outside. Those invisible, like those shepherds at night. And just as God found those shepherds, he found you and me. You came here tonight, and you have met the God who takes nobodies and declares them to be somebodies. And how? Verse 11, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Savior, Christ, Lord. They're not just theological words. Those are first century political words. In the first century, Augustus Caesar was Rome's savior, declared divine. He had secured peace through military conquest. But Luke's gospel announces a new sheriff in town, a true savior, God in the flesh. Verse 12 says, and this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Think about this. Ponder this. God became a fertilized egg, an embryo, a fetus. God kicked Mary from within her womb. God entered the world as a baby amid the stench of manure and cobwebs and prickly hay in a stable. Angels watched as Mary changed God's diapers and cradled the Creator in tiny hands that would touch and heal the sick and yet would one day be ripped by nails in a cross. Tiny feet that would walk on water would one day be pierced and pinned by nails to a cross. Mary tickled his side, which would one day be punctured by a spear. God entered a polluted, contaminated, unsanitized world with his healing, cleansing sinlessness. This is our God. This is the one to whom we sing. In verses 13 and 14. Suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host. Literally, that word is army. Praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Isn't it ironic? An army of angels appears with 
the message of peace. Armies aren't about making peace. Armies are about making war. And yet this army gave praise that their commander-in-chief had been born, which meant a full-fledged war was ahead, a war in which only the commander-in-chief could fight, a peace which only Jesus could bring. Augustus Caesar's Pax Romana, peace of Rome, was a peace secured by a sword. Jesus' peace came through the blood of his cross, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. As Paul says in Colossians 1, and when this Jesus is the unchallenged authority and the uncontested emperor of your life, then you have the peace of God. And when you give God the glory as emperor, he gives you his peace. And the two are linked. Glory to God in heaven, peace on earth. They're indivisible. In Jesus, born in Bethlehem, heaven and earth come together so that giving glory to God is linked to peacemaking on earth. What would this world truly look like if 7.6 billion of us would give glory to Jesus? Amen? Well, after this magnificent praise and song in verse 14, the Scripture says that the angels went away from them into heaven. Verse 15. You know, I've been thinking about that, and I wonder if upon returning to heaven, one of those angels asked, Lord, how come we only get to sing this once? Surely the Lord would have said, oh, it's because it's a special occasion. And it can only be sung once by you. Once you've done your part, those who have heard it must learn to sing it for themselves. And that's what the shepherds did, right? Verse 16, and they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. Oh, don't you see? God took some nobodies and declared them somebodies, giving them a message for everybody. The shepherds, the first to hear. The shepherds, the first to tell. They, they simply told what was true about God and what he had done in and through their lives. Talk about fearless evangelism. And verse 20 says that the shepherds returned. To where? Well, to their fields, to their familiar flocks, to everyday life, and yet life that would be forever changed because they had seen Jesus. I heard about a little boy who once asked his parents if Jesus would actually be there when they celebrated his birthday tomorrow. He'd heard a lot about this Jesus and 
Will he meet Jesus himself tomorrow? Well, that little boy's parents have some explaining to do, right? But the answer can't be that Jesus is just simply absent. See, that's not good enough. The answer must be, Luke's answer must be, the angel's answer must be, our answer must be, that we will see him at work in life when we who praise him and celebrate his birth go off to make his praise echo all around our familiar fields and flocks. The homeless shelters, the hospitals, the prisons, the university and college campuses, the school districts, the emergency services departments, in homes where tragedy has struck and hearts are grieving. If you want to see Jesus, learn to look for him in the faces of those in need, those in tears, those hurting. That's where you'll see him. And so let's worship this Jesus tonight from a full heart. Let's celebrate his birth with everything we've got. And then let's go and give God glory in heaven by bringing his peace to his people on earth. The angels sang their song. It's time we learn to sing it back to them. And I'll tell you this. Belonging to that circle and together singing the glories of that Christmas song Cal Skinner can't top that. Amen.